Well, the first time I ever noticed it was back in the early 90s when I saw the new Ford Ranger come out. And then down at the Mazda dealership, I saw the new B-Series. I put one and one together and I figured the two of them must be built on the same platform because they're very similar in all of their aspects except for the front grills. Like the Mazda front end was a lot more sporty. Well, Ford had a big chrome grille. But were these two vehicles the same? Or is it just an odd similarity like we see today with people copying design proportions or full-on designs? Were these copycats? Or was I seeing one of those famous car marriages between two different companies producing vehicles on the same line? Once I figured that out, that these weren't just platform building within the same company, this is more of a car marriage between two companies. So I had to figure it out. How are the two related and why does this happen? These are some of the things we're going to answer on this week's podcast. Autolux Podcast coming to you anytime, anywhere from around the globe on any major streaming site from Autolux.net. Welcome back to the Autolux Podcast. I am your host, the doctor to the automotive industry, Mr. Everett J. himself, coming to you live from our website at autolux.net. If you haven't been there, go there, check out some of the amazing things, check out some of the the pictures we're going to be talking about on this podcast of car marriages. And while there, stop by and check out the Corporate Links website page. Big or small, we have them all. Corporate Links websites from around the globe. See what countries have car companies and what countries have produced cars all on the Autolux Corporate Links website. And we'd also like to give a thanks out to Podbeam.com for helping us get this podcast to many more people. Not just through Podbeam, but also through Spotify, Pandora, Samsung Podcasts, iTunes, and Amazon Music, among many others within the podcasting forum. We are there. You can find the Autolux podcast on multiple streaming services from podcast websites around the world. So thank you again, Podbeam. Now, like we said in the beginning, we originally saw that Ford Ranger and Mazda B-Series. But this marriage between these two trucks was going on for quite a while. Now, if you take a look back into the 70s, when Ford started considering getting into the small truck ring in North America, they went to Mazda. Because Mazda wanted to enter the North American marketplace with their trucks, but due to the chicken tax, they couldn't. And here was Ford saying, hey buddy, we'll let you build your truck in this country as long as we can have our own counterpart. The Ford Courier. And their marriage came in Céla Vie. We got to see both of them for a very long time. But unfortunately, this marriage didn't go on forever, whereas Ford eventually sold off their ownership of Mazda, and Mazda became their own car company again. And with vehicles like that Mazda 3 and the Ford Focus, the Mazda 6 and the Ford Contour, or Ford Fusion, or the Ranger and the B-Series. When they had their marriage, they had a lot of vehicles that went together. Yes, if you want to take a look into it, you can find out that the original Ford Focus that came to North America was from a Mazda. Yes, the Mazda 3. Ford and Mazda were kind of joined at the hip for such a long time because Ford owned a stake in Mazda. But during the early 2000s, they started divesting themselves away from anyone else that they owned and they had the great sell-off, which conveniently for Ford worked out because when the 2008 global crisis hit, they had sold off all of those divisions and they had nobody else bringing them down except for Mercury, who was already deemed to be too costly for their company. It was on its way out. And now you have the Ford 
Lincoln Company. They don't own that many other divisions to this day. They do own Troller down in Brazil, but not much else. And that is actually a marriage that everybody was expecting to happen. Everybody originally thought that for Ford to get a brand new Ford Bronco to the marketplace, they would use the underpinnings of the Troller T4. The vehicle had already been developed, tried, and tested on a national scale in Brazil. It was the ultimate off-roader. Next to a Jeep Wrangler, you have the Troller T4. Unfortunately, Ford has closed their plant down there, and now the Troller name is on its way out because Ford chose to use the Ranger platform to make new Bronco. Not really a marriage, just platform building. But if you want to talk about major marriages, Ford has been there for quite a while. Gotta remember, Ford originally helped Hyundai with their first product which eventually became the Hyundai Cortina, or better known as the Ford Cortina. Ford was there. They also helped Kia get their start. Remember the old Festiva from the 80s? Well, that was a Kia Pride. Kia also used a car marriage to team itself up with Lotus and buy out the remaining Elan products, where after the Lotus Elan quit, Kia was still making that sports car. And like we said, there are plenty of these marriages that we can go on. Some of them do it, like Ford, because they owned a stake in Mazda. Some of them do it because they want to get into a marketplace and it's just easier like volkswagen wanted to get into the mid-sized truck market easy back in the 90s and this is before the amarok came out so they teamed up with toyota and created the volkswagen taro which is essentially just a toyota hilux or tacoma as we have them here they did that because they wanted to enter a market so they joined up with another make to get their cars out there this happens time and time again like chevrolet remember them buying out that plant in california which is now owned by tesla oddly enough we're back in the 80s Toyota wanted to bring the Corolla to North America as production form. They wanted to build them right here, but they didn't think they could make a major go at it. So they teamed up with Chevrolet and created the Nova. Now this marriage only lasted a certain amount of time before the two of them went their own separate ways. But then again, that separate ways came back years later when they brought out the Pontiac Vibe and Toyota Matrix. Two tall hatches that only lived two generations, but sold a massive amount of cars. They did this because Pontiac needed a hatchback for their sport off-road market essentially almost cross-track market they wanted the vibe but they didn't think this vehicle would ever take off and sell in massive numbers and toyota wanted to bring their matrix model to north america so they showed pontiac what they had what platform they had and how well the matrix was essentially just a, an altered corolla platform where oddly enough they produced the corolla with chevrolet and the chevrolet nova before so they showed them the platform and what they could build off of it and pontiac came back with the vibe two generations later the vehicles disappear. If you go in my case, first generation Vibes and second generation Matrix are my favorite designs of each one. Of them. Wasn't too into the first generation Matrix and wasn't really into the second generation Pontiac Vibe. But maybe that's the reason why you don't see a lot of either of those. You only see the originals. So this was a marriage made because Toyota wanted to re-enter the market with this hatchback and they felt that hatchbacks in this form might not be a big seller and Pontiac wanted to get into this market as well. So they teamed up together to hit both markets. Another odd one is when Daimler owned Chrysler. Chrysler always wanted a sports car since they really hadn't had anything since the fall off of the Plymouth Prowler became a Chrysler product and only lasted a short time under the Chrysler umbrella as the Chrysler Prowler. And since they didn't have the Conquest teamed up with Mitsubishi like they did in the 80s or even the Chrysler Laser along with the Plymouth Laser and Mitsubishi Eclipse Eagle Talon platforms, they wanted a sports car yet again. And since they were part of Daimler, they figured they can use one of their 
their platforms. But Daimler didn't want competition, knowing that Chrysler was, still at that point, in a luxury ring very similar to Mercedes. Not exactly, but pretty similar. Mercedes hadn't fully dumbed down Chrysler to the premium brand that it eventually became. Chrysler was still working off a luxury portfolio in those days. So they figured they would give them the previous generation SLK platform. So keeping the old platform alive as they built their new SLKs, Chrysler got to utilize that old platform to build the Crossfire. Designed off an outdated Mercedes platform and also designed by the same person who created the Audi TT. Because the TT was blowing up, Chrysler wanted to get a piece of that pie. And the SLK from Mercedes was more of a small sports coupe, not a roadster. So Chrysler made the Crossfire to go up against the roadster market, showing to the Mercedes that they're not going to compete with the SLK, they're going to compete with the Audis. This is a TT fighter. And since Mercedes didn't want to get into the TT fight, they let Chrysler do it. And for a while, it went good. But like we said, there, there are companies that get into these marriages just to enter markets. Volkswagen did that with the Rutan back in 2009. Built in Windsor, Ontario, off the same platform as the Chrysler Town & Country and Dodge Caravan. Now the Volkswagen would kind of sit between the two of them in their price point, but still compete on both spectrums of the Town & Country and Caravan's marketplace. So they were a competition, but Volkswagen wanted a minivan for the North American market, and Chrysler wanted to keep all of their ships going at the Windsor plant. And even though that the town and country and caravans were selling like crazy, they thought, hey, let's make some more money off this lineup. We're gonna get Volkswagen one. They might try and pinch us for some sales, but you have to remember those sales are still coming back to us, not in full part, but Volkswagen's paying us to produce their vehicles. So we're making money off of this. We may lose a percentage of our marketplace, but after the Rutan disappeared, they gained all that market share back. And looking at the Rutan and a caravan, besides a change in the, the front fascia there really is nothing else to it this was essentially just a match made in heaven so what do we have we have ford teaming up with mazda because they wanted a small truck and mazda wanted it in the market then you got the toyota corolla vehicle they didn't figure they could be sold in mass quantities and chevrolet utilizing that line to create the nova because they needed a small car in that market so two forces joining together. They get the Ford Vestiva and Kia Pride. Ford needed a small compact car. Kia had the compact car for them. And in turn, Ford would eventually help Kia enter the North American marketplace. And they thought that was all doing good and thought they would be able to get the buyout on Kia after they helped them into our, our marketplace. But unfortunately, they lost that battle to Hyundai since the Korean government preferred a transfer of Korean documentation to a Korean car company. Ford lost the battle and essentially created another competitor in their marketplace so it wasn't really a win for them it was only a win for them between the two generations of the festiva well and then the ford aspire chrysler and mitsubishi or plymouth mitsubishi and eagle those were just sports cars in a market that wasn't super big all of those companies knew they couldn't sell them in big numbers so they all teamed up together similar to that of mazda and fiat the mx5 platform was utilized for the fiat spider it was originally supposed to be the alfa romeo spider because essentially mazda said no you can't create a car on our platform that competes directly with us even though the fiat Spider was more of a dedicated roadster with its long bonnet and short rear overhangs, unlike the Mazda, which was just a small roadster. But the two of them wound up competing in the marketplaces, and Mazda only let that slide for a short amount of time before the Spider was finally king. And in the end, they told them, had you created off the Alfa Romeo platform, the Spider would still be alive, because Alfa Romeo is priced higher than Mazda products.
You know, that's happened a lot between two separate companies. When they enter the market, and then they get screwed over because they enter the market with a vehicle that's not exactly as theirs. Some companies also utilize car marriages to help bring down EPA requirements. As Aston Martin did back in 2011, utilizing the Toyota IQ platform. They would essentially buy IQs from Toyota and rework nearly all of the vehicle with new sheet metal to make it the Aston Martin Signet. But why did Aston Martin create this tiny little city car? As we talked in our Intercity Pods podcast, why would they do this? Well, the European EPA was coming down hard on them because they built big, fast, and heavy-breathing vehicles that wasted a lot of power. And with fuel consumption on their main line being so high, they needed something to bring it down. And it comes in the Aston Martin Signet. They didn't sell as many as they originally planned, but Toyota wasn't losing out because they were building their vehicles and then just shipping a few of them over to Aston Martin. Aston Martin still had to take them out from Toyota. And essentially, it took a long time to sell all the products off. They really only built them for one year, but it took multiple years to get rid of them. It did bring down their fleet average and fuel consumption, but in any case, Toyota wasn't losing anything, only Aston Martin. You know, there are some car marriages out there that you just can't believe, and you can't see how they're related together. Like a Fiat 500X. You would never look at it and say, that's a Jeep Renegade, but it's the same platform. They run on the same platform. Now we all get it, that Fiat owns Chrysler. And now it's Stellantis. So naturally they do platform building across product lines. That happens in major conglomerates, as you've always seen. And like we've said with platform building, General Motors was famous for that. Look at their minivans throughout the 90s and early 2000s. The Uplander, the Montana, the Buick Terrazzo, and the Saturn Relay. Those four products are the exact same thing. The Montana looks a little more sporty, and the Buick has a bit of luxury. But the Uplander and Relay are pretty much the same product. It's all platform building. All built off the same thing, different divisions. But that's General Motors and their divisions. This is Fiat, who is their own company, and Chrysler, who is their own company, who merged together and became one giant company, but still essentially seen as two separate entities from each other, building products on the same platform line, the Fiat 500X Jeep Renegade. This also happened with the Dodge Dart, Dodge Neon, and the Fiat Agia, or the Tipo, if you want to really get into it. These vehicles were built together to service different markets. Fiat never sold this product in North America. It was covered by the Dodge Dart brand, but eventually fell wayside because people in North America don't want to buy a small Dodge product. But people in Mexico still did, so that vehicle in Mexico was renamed the Dodge Neon, which essentially the Dart was. It took over for the Neon nameplate. And over in Europe and China, the Fiat Tipo was there. So this really isn't car marriage, this is a platform building situation where all three of these vehicles were utilized for different markets. And that can be seen a lot in Fiat Chrysler Association, like the Fiat Toro and the Ram 1000. Toro was in European and South American marketplaces, where the Ram 1000 hit specific portions of the market where Fiat wasn't. You won't find a Fiat Toro in Mexico. Fiats are sold there, but they have a better love affair with Dodge products. So they utilized the Dodge product. They created that marriage between those products only be out of necessity for their marketplaces. And like we said before, some of these car companies do it so they can enter specific marketplaces. They team up together even though they have nothing else. Toyota did that again with Suzuki. They helped out a fellow Japanese partner in building the Suzuki Across, which is essentially a Toyota RAV4. A little different front end than a Toyota, but you can tell it's a RAV4. Suzuki is a big company and they could build their own 
own SUVs. But for this case, they figured it was a lot easier to team up with the world's best, Toyota, and get their help on building a new vehicle. They already have the Vitara in this category, but the Vitara only goes to select markets. And their home markets, and any other market that Suzuki sold in, they can also push the across. They hit the same markets as Toyota, where people will look at a Suzuki similar to that as a Toyota. And our last car marriage we're going to talk about is a marriage through necessity. BMW wanted a new Z4. Toyota wanted a new Supra. People have been demanding it, but neither company wanted to flip the bill fully for either of these products. Toyota couldn't build a limited production vehicle like the, the Supra and still make money. You know, you have to have a dedicated team looking at just that product to maintain its profitability margin over the Camry market. Like, it's too hard. A lot of these companies will get into specific models like Ford did with the GT just to get into it for a short amount of time. But Toyota wants to stay in it for the long term. So the Supra and the Z4 were built together. Yeah, same platforms. A Z4 is the exact same platform as a Supra. It means both of these companies could still keep on producing their vehicles. The Z4 used to run on its own product line, but it got too costly for BMW. They don't want to deal with low volume cars. When you're a major car company like that, you don't want to deal with these low range cars. Like the Mustang, Challenger, and Camaro are considerably still high volume vehicles for the three brands. But when the global crisis hit, the Saturn Sky, because Saturn got kicked out, and the Pontiac Solstice, because Pontiac got kicked out, both gave up. Chevrolet could have taken the Sky for a miniature Corvette, and the Solstice could have originally been sold off to DMC to make a new DeLorean. Hell, they even considered moving it into the Buick range, but thought its design wouldn't fit with that market. Hell, change the front up, could have made it a Cadillac too, but they would need both those vehicles to be sold to be able to make money. And GM reconsidered the option, and they also outconsidered the option of building it with Mazda because Mazda doesn't like utilizing their platform for the MX-5 Miata to build other people's cars as we saw with the Fiat Spider. They don't want to build competition for their, you know, sports car that's still a bread and butter winner. You know, the RX-8 went out because it wasn't profitable enough, and the RX-7 still hasn't come around because of that fact. Unless Mazda that is going to build the RX-7 along with the Z4 and Supra, like that would have been an amazing marriage to get all three of those products back. Or even if BMW fell off, the Supra and RX-7 could have still been built together. Nissan is one of those few companies that still goes alone for their sports cars. For the GTR Godzilla and the 350 are now 300 ZX or 400 ZX as they call it now, the Z, the Fair Lady. It's one of those ones that's actually not gone away, just like the Mustang. So they built that together because both of them wanted to make money. Toyota did that in their own stable, lower down. They had the GT86, the BRZ, and when Scion was still around, the FRS. Today it's the BRZ and the GT86. But those vehicles are only built in collaboration with each other because even though they're small volume vehicles, the marriage between two of them could sustain each other. But that vehicle also came because Toyota bought out the remaining stake of Fuji Industrial from General Motors. So now Fuji Industrial, the conglomerate which is Subaru, is part of Toyota. So today, we start to see a lot of different marriages between a lot of these car companies. Why does it happen? Why do these marriages need to happen? Entering a marketplace you're not too sure of, you know, bringing a vehicle you don't think will sell enough, utilizing a different name for that same vehicle in select markets where the other name is bigger, building something off an old platform so one, it doesn't directly compete your product offering and so it can compete against another product range. You build it out of necessity because you need to enter that market that's growing and you want to be there or you 
build it so you can decrease your fuel consumption within your entire range. There are multiple reasons of why car marriages happen, but the only real reason behind any of these car marriages is money. The bottom line always brings in the satisfaction to either company. If there's no way to make yourself in that market or make a profit at it, then the marriage just isn't going to happen. And as the Pontiac Vibe and Toyota Matrix disappeared from each other, we saw that. And we saw that that marriage just wasn't going to work out forever. Now they had a good run, but just like a lot of Hollywood couples, the vibe and matrix, their marriage eventually ended. Didn't last as long as the Ford Mazda trucks, didn't look as good as the BMW, the Z4 and Supra, and it wasn't out of necessity. Marriages can go both ways. Trial separation, divorce, or even just drifting away from each other. Eventually all of these marriages end, and the ones that are still going on today only have a select amount of time to survive. So yes, in the end, we do need car marriages between companies. We want select models, but the market isn't big enough. How are we going to get those models? If people team up together and share the profits, manufacturing, and initial investment into the project together. It's all about coming together for a better cause. So if you like this podcast, please like, share, or comment on any of the social feeds that you find us upon. Tell your friends, tell your family, spam this at work. Send it to that guy you hate down the road saying, hey, you think your marriage is bad? Look at the automotive marriages. They don't last forever either. They're not as good as some. But you know what? When they first come about, it is the greatest thing in the world. So take a look at it. Take a look at those car marriages. See how they can help you out. So yes, if you like this podcast, share it with friends and family. Share it at all at work send it to your boss piss them off just do it come on it's great it's great for myself and it could be great for you because you never know if your boss is gonna like it and after that check out the website check out autolooks.net go there check out our podcast tab and see all the other podcasts go to the ratings page and see all the cars we have rated all the way back to 2008 we go back quite a ways how we got some vehicles before that that you can read about on the rated pages as well and while there, like we said, check out the Corporate Links website page. Because if it's an automotive company and you can't find it there, tell us. We will find it. We will get the information and we will put it up on Autolux.net for you. Because big or small, we have them all on the Autolux Corporate Links website page. So for myself, Everett J, and the whole Autolux team, strap yourself in for this one fun ride that these car marriages are going to take you on. We'll